Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember as a young girl having an impact on you? You know, so my dad was actually a marketer. This is not really a brand that had an impact on me, but maybe it helped shape me into a marketer. He was the VP of marketing at a company in Cincinnati. And I remember so vividly him coming home one time talking about advertising. And he brought this, you know, television campaign. It was actually for toilet bowl cleaner. <laughs> so it's not quite as, as sexy as maybe some of the brands I work on today. But I remember it so vividly because he was so excited about this television ad for toilet bowl cleaner. I think it was Vanish toilet bowl cleaner. I'll have to go back and check it. So even though Vanish did not have an impact on my life, just that experience with my dad and his passion for marketing, actually, I do think in some ways kind of impacted who I am today. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Morgan Flatley, the Global Chief Marketing Officer for McDonald's, a quick-serve restaurant chain that started in 1955 and is now in 100 countries with about 37,000 restaurants. Most of them are franchised. McDonald's is, of course, a fixture in culture and has been a marketing trailblazer for decades. Think about it. The Big Mac, the Quarter Pounder, Egg McMuffin, You deserve a break today. I'm loving it. The Golden Arches, the Ronald McDonald House, and on and on. McDonald's may be six decades plus old, but it's not acting that way. The stock price has more than doubled in the past five years, and revenue over the last year grew in the 20% range. My guest Morgan joined McDonald's in 2017 as the U.S. Chief Marketing and Digital Customer Experience Officer and was promoted to Global Chief Marketing Officer in November 2021. Prior to McDonald's, Morgan worked nearly 13 years at PepsiCo, most of that time on Gatorade. She has a BA in history from Dartmouth, an MBA from Harvard, and she is the mom of three kids. You deserve a break right now. Listen up. Here is my conversation with Morgan Flatley. Morgan, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I had breakfast this morning in one of your restaurants. I have to say it was fresh. It was fast, it was friendly, it was tasty, and I, I nestled myself into one of your booths, and I was working on a number of things. This podcast was one of them, and your manager came over to me and said, uh, could we help you with anything else? Do you want anything else? Can I fill up your coffee? So sweet as could be, you had a long line outside and drive through, of course, as you always do in the morning, and there were probably... 10 or 12 people. It was, it's a small McDonald's and they're working away, getting ready for the day. So it was a very, very nice scene. And thank you for starting my day right. I, I love it, Jim. You'll have to tell me where so I can call that franchisee and thank them for giving you such, such a wonderful experience. So that's great to hear. I will tell you after we stop recording. Great. Perfect. It's in Cincinnati, but you have a lot. Of, I'll tell you which one. Okay, great. I love it. 
I tweeted last week that I was interviewing you, and a former P&G Tide brand manager tweeted back that he remembers you so fondly from your days at the ad agency Saatchi and Saatchi working on Tide, obviously a very famous P&G brand. That was a long time ago, before your MBA at Harvard. I'd like to, I'd like you to wax a little bit about those early days in advertising. Was that a good start to your career in your mind? Are there lessons you learned there that you carry forward today? I, I saw the tweet, Bob Gilbreth. Um, I, I keep thinking I need to tweet back at Bob. Um, gosh, I have so many wonderful memories of that time. And I do think it, it, is, it is really foundational to who I am as a leader. So I'd love to wax about it for a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I kind of stumbled into advertising um, at that point, and I spent a little bit of time working on J&J business, and then I moved into the, the Proctor business to Tide. And one of the things, there are a few lessons that I took out of that, but one of them was just this real respect for creativity. And, you know, I remember at one point in my career there, I was, a, you know, an assistant account executive, or maybe I was an account executive at that point, or an account soup, I can't remember, when I was working on Tide. And I remember sitting in the creative's office as we were brainstorming some boards for one of the line extensions on Tide, and I just realized that they thought so differently than I did. And so it gave me this appreciation for how different people bring different thinking to, to business problems. And it gave me, I think, great understanding that I couldn't do what they did. I remember in my career when I went to the client side, always being a little bit taken aback when clients or, or many NBAs would say, oh, I could write the script better. Because the reality is there's a gift to creativity that I think I don't fool myself that that's not my gift. My gift is helping to support it and spark it and protect it and let it grow. And that was one of the things that I that I took out of my time there. The other which is related to Bob, I don't think he knows this. I've never named the person who was on the call with me, but I had been at Saatchi for a few years and I was, you know, thinking about what next. I was weighing business school and I remember um, sitting on this phone call and the brand manager or assistant brand manager it was Bob was talking about a new product launch and he was talking about the P&L and he was talking about the capital required with this new product launch and he was talking about the CapEx, the depreciation, the impact of the P&L. And I remember sitting there and saying, I have no idea what he's talking about. And it like triggered for me that there was this much wider business world that I really hadn't learned about yet. And that was part of kind of my um, impetus to go to, to business school. How do you now elicit tremendous creativity from your people and from your agencies? I mean, your background is interesting, right? You started on the creative side. How, this is such an important topic, and I, I don't think enough of us do it well. So any of your thoughts on how to establish that culture, those expectations, so that creativity lives and breathes and flourishes in the organizations that you lead? I think it's one of our biggest challenges as CMOs. And just in my role at McDonald's, I think about this all the time. Um, so a few things I do or I like constantly have on my mind. I mean, one is surrounding myself with really great people, but very diverse people. And it's why I love our agency partners. They bring such diversity of perspective and thinking and, and finding or supporting an environment where you pull those people together around a table to solve complex problems. So I think one is, is the people. And then I also, you mentioned culture. I mean, I think creating a culture where people can take risks, I mean, this has been talked about a lot, um, a culture where 
ideas are supported. So I always try and say yes. I might have suggestions or thoughts or questions, but finding a way to say yes to ideas and supporting ideas, I think, is part of it. And then one of the things that I think we've really worked on at McDonald's and the U.S. business over the last probably two years is, is taking risks and, and finding a way to support risk-taking, um, you know, encouraging our people to push themselves to do things that are uncomfortable. And I talk about creativity a lot, too. I think part of it is leaders set the tone by what they talk about. And so I talk about creativity a lot. But it's hard. Yeah. So let's talk more about your role at McDonald's. You are the global chief marketing officer of McDonald's. Do you sometimes pinch yourself when you think about that? Um, I pinch myself like every day when I think about it, though I, I try not to think about it too much because I don't know that that helps. <laughs> I try to keep the humility, you know, front and center. But yeah, I, I and I've said this to people before, like I never intended to be in this role, um, but I keep doing it because I'm loving it. And, I, and that was not an intended pun, pun. <laughs> but <laughs> Good I, one, though. I keep doing it because I enjoy it so much. Um, but yeah, I never expected to be, you know, in this seat um, today. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. What was it like? You were running the U.S. business, doing a great job, I think really nailing it, crushing it, and then you were asked to do this. And I went from a line job to the global CMO at P&G, and it was different. And I just want you to talk a little bit about how was that, was it a goal of yours? You, you seem to indicate it wasn't, but how did that happen? How did the company talk to you about it? And what has been the biggest adjustment moving from a country role to a global role? Yeah, I mean, Jim, it's one of the things I'm hoping to talk to you about after this and pick your okay, brain. Very it, good. It is. Um, it's been really hard. So I, I'm. I'm like, maybe seventy days in. I don't think yeah. I'm counting yet, but I'm clo- like seventy-ish days in, maybe seventy-five. Um, I was not looking to do this. I actually love being close to a business. Um, I love seeing work kind of happen and come to life and, you know, seeing strategies translate to action that actually moves your business forward, which was the amazing part of the U.S. business to do that and actually see it happen so quickly was amazing. Um, so I'm still, you know, adjusting, I will say. I, I'm, it's funny because, you know, 75 days in, new year, what are my goals for 2022? I'm thinking a lot about what I want to accomplish. So it's very front and center on my mind right now. Um, Look what I'm excited about in it. And then I'll come to your question around how did it happen? What I'm excited about in the role is, you know, McDonald's is such a, a kind of retail business that's driven kind of to the retail calendar. And you're so close and focused on, you know, the next 12 and I used to say to my team, maybe we have the luxury of thinking 18 months out, like maybe. And so what I'm really excited about is in this global role, I think our markets need us to think ahead of them and need us to think 18 to 36 to maybe 48 months ahead. And when I look at that space, I mean, the marketing world is going to be so, this discipline is going to be so different in 24 months. And so I get really excited and energized about 
how we can think about creativity, how we can think about data, how we can think about technology insights to help, you know, our markets kind of get to the future. So I'm very curious and excited about that. Um, and I'm also really excited about talent. So I think one of my big challenges in this role is how do we build kind of a marketing organization that's the envy of the industry? Um, and that, you know, people want to join, marketers want to join McDonald's and our people who are here are so committed and so passionate about the work we're doing. Um, so I have discrete pieces of work that I'm really excited about, but it's certainly an adjustment coming from, you know, as you said, a line, a line job. So your question, how did it happen? So I got a call from the CEO, from Chris Kay, who, you know, you might know from, from his time at Procter and back mm -hmm. again now. Um, and Chris and I worked together on the U.S. business and, you know, he talked to me about the opportunity. And I think maybe to his surprise, I needed some time to think about it. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't sure because I was so energized by what I was doing in the U.S. and the impact. But the, the, the motivation in the end was Chris has a vision for how we can be a leading marketing organization. And so to have, you know, that type of support and commitment from the CEO and step into the role was one it was hard to turn down. But it's an adjustment for sure. When I got the job at P&J, I also was not looking for it. That's another story. But my CEO did say to me, this is very similar to what you just focused on. He said, there are very few people in this company, you can maybe count on one hand, who are thinking about beyond the next two or three years, and you have to be one of them. That's a very empowering thought, but it's very different work. It's so different. Yeah. I'm, I'm anxious to pick your brain about how you did that. And it's a whole new skill set, I would say, from, you know, when you're so focused on close in and, and you have this measurable, you know, deliverables and activity that's that just is keeping you on on the treadmill a little bit. But but I am really, really excited about it. And it feels like a tremendous opportunity. Well, I think starting with talent, organization and the future is a, is a great place to start. I know you're only 70-ish days into it, but I, I would be interested in what's the biggest change in your life since taking this role and moving from a line business? And where are you focused right now? Where do you spend your personal time on the business? So the biggest change has been just a disruption to my like rituals and routines. So, you know, s sitting in a business, you have these very structured rituals and routines around day-to-day -day decisions that you need to make. Um, and so, you know, I'm spending a lot of time thinking, so I have more free time to actually try and think and absorb and to listen. I'm kind of going on a real listening tour with our markets, um, with our managing directors and CMOs around the world to understand the brand and in, you know, outside of the U.S. because the brand is very different in many of those markets. The other big change has been I have a lot of, you know, 6.30 a.m. conference calls <laughs> talking to, you know, this morning I was talking to Spain. Um, or tonight, I have a call with Japan. So the hours of my day have shifted a fair bit, which has been a real change. Um, but it's, it's, it's different activity in terms of where I'm putting my time right now. Um, and then remind me your second question. Where you're spending your time. You're onboarding. You're getting to know people. You still have a listening tour. Anything else that you're especially focused on as you kind of onboard in the role? I'm, I'm really trying to as I mentioned, put, put my priorities down on paper. But the biggest one that's taking a lot of my time right now is just understanding where the world's going from a marketing perspective. So, you know, what's happening with technology and data, what's going on with the metaverse, <laughs> um, what's the future looking like? I'm trying to get my head around that future vision. So I'm spending a fair bit of time kind of reading up on, on that piece. I was talking earlier this week to the CMO of a big tech company, and we were talking about similar kind of things that I'm talking about with you. 
And he said he's really thinking about what's the world look like if the social platforms become less relevant and less attractive to our consumers? What does marketing look like in that world? And that's the kind of stuff in your role you've got to help prepare the company for. Scenarios, right? Exactly. It's fascinating to think about. Now, you mentioned your CEO, who I do know, and I think he's just a remarkable leader and human being, and he does value marketing, value people, value creativity. Could you talk a little bit about your relationship with Chris? You, you had a relationship as the U.S. CMO, and now you moved to the global level. What kinds of things do you talk about with him? What, what, where do you bring him in? Do you have any interesting rituals with Chris to be sure you're, you know, tapping into his creativity and his knowledge? We do have a couple rituals, um, which I'll get to. The, the good thing is I know Chris well, and I know he'll pick up the phone and just share ideas with me. So, so luckily, we, you know, have that shorthand from having worked together in the U.S. and familiarity where, you know, he'll be quick to pop an idea in my head. You know, I got a, a fair bit of interesting emails over the holidays with ideas from him because I think we were all taking a minute to, to kind of refresh our brains. So, you know, we have that natural, I think, way of working. But we do, I mean, Chris and I meet one-on-one -on -one monthly where it's an opportunity to just talk about, you know, what are my priorities? How are we progressing against them? What are some big things that we need to be thinking about as an organization? And what are the plans to start to tackle those? We have a number of, because I sit on our SLT, kind of our leadership team, we have a number of meetings as an SLT where we really share ideas across that leadership forum. So obviously Chris is there um, and that's a great forum. And then um, it's interesting, we do have coming up uh, creative reviews with Chris. So, you know, he, as you mentioned, Jim, I mean, he loves creativity. Um, and so he and I are sitting down with all of our global agencies to just see the best work from around the world, learn what's on their minds, what do they see as transforming our business. So, you know, the good news for me, and I think part of the ease of coming into this role was just the natural relationship that he and I have. And, you know, a lot of the shared perspective on marketing and, and brands and creativity. Your results these days are really pretty amazing. You know, your stock price has done well. Your revenue is doing really, really well this year. I know the pandemic was a little bit challenging, but you bounced back very, very quickly. What, what's going on inside McDonald's that's generating this energy and these ideas and this innovation in everything, marketing product, restaurant design, a digital experience? It really is from the outside pretty amazing to watch. So any insights about this, Morgan, for our listeners, you know, that you're, in, you're not a young company, right? You're 67 years old and you're, you're not acting that way. Gosh, it's so great to hear. I think sometimes you lose the perspective when you sit inside of, of how you look to others. Um, so it's great. It's great to hear that. Um, you know, there are a few things that I think are really helping, helping to drive this. You know, one is because because we are, you know, I don't know if legacy is the right word, but we're, a, you know, we are an older company. Um, and at times, I, well, I will say, I think we can be slow because of just the size and the scale and the time it takes to do things with the consistency that we expect as as brand McDonald's. But I think there are a few things that have really helped recently. Um, one is focus. So we've gotten very, very focused on our corporate strategy and what is really going to move the business. And I think that focus is, is part of what's allowing us to, to you know, so sometimes focus and simplicity helps unlock the best creativity, I would say. Um, so, you know, we have three pillars of our strategy that we talk about. Um, one is maximizing our marketing. The second is committing to our core. So we have incredibly powerful core equities and how do we commit to those? And the third is around kind of we call accelerating the three Ds, which is drive-through, delivery, and digital. And that's all underpinned by like our operational excellence and how we run restaurants. Um, 
So when you have that focus, I think it helps do great things. So I'd say one is a simple focus framework. The second piece is we've really put the consumer back into this organization. And COVID forced a lot of that. You know, that was my experience in the U.S. COVID forced us to listen to the consumer more than we ever have. Um, and so that is starting, I think, to, to really inform and energize the plans we put in place, that the consumer is back at the center um, of what we do. And then, you know, this might be my, my selfish plug. You know, I think marketing is having a much stronger voice and seat at the table in strategy. Um, and that starts with Chris and kind of his commitment to marketing. And it also comes from, you know, my experience in the U.S. and my partnership with our U.S. President Joe Erlinger and just the success we saw from marketing driving our business over the last two years. So um, it's a really, really exciting time to be a marketer at McDonald's, I'll say. How did you elevate the consumer in your operation? I mean, it's uh, something we all aspire to, but I'm kind of interested in, I think you've always been a pretty consumer, customer, franchise-focused organization. You continue to do that. So any learning and how you kind of, uh, you know, strengthen that core part of your culture of, of being extremely consumer-centric? Well, let me, let me talk about the pandemic and what happened through the pandemic. And then I also think it's worth talking about kind of our new corporate structure where we've put in kind of a customer experience team that is really going to help drive that focus. Um, but first, I, I just, I think, you know, during the pandemic, we, there was so much uncertainty and so much change. I mean, we all experienced it, so I don't need to describe it so we can all relive it again. But at least at McDonald's, we found we had to put the customer much more front and center in our thinking because we didn't know what was going to come two weeks later. Um, and I don't know that we would have been as oriented around that because, you know, we get into our we get into our process and we just keep going. But the process was so disrupted that we needed the voice of the customer to tell us where they were and what we needed to do next. And then we saw the benefits of it, which was, which was kind of the, the beauty. It's like we saw the benefit of having the customer be much more front and center and vocal in what we were doing. And then, you know, I referenced this as part of me coming into this global, global CMO role. Chris has also put in place a customer experience team, which I think is going to help us really think about the integration of what are very distinct functions at McDonald's. So it includes operations, restaurant design, innovation, marketing, um, our digital product and also uh, our data and analytics hub all together. So we're going to have this holistic view of the customer and really connecting how marketing and operations work together to make sure we're serving the needs of the customer, kind of from the front of the counter all the way back to our crew, who are also, you know, really important customers ultimately for, for us. I want to talk about two areas where I know you have a lot of passion, brand purpose and DEI. And on brand purpose, your purpose to feed, I think I have this right, to feed and foster communities is to me just one of the best. It's simple, it's memorable, it's timeless, and it's very much you. It's 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 the DNA of your company. So could you start with sharing kind of your thoughts about its meaningfulness? To you, Morgan, as a human being, as well as a, a senior leader at McDonald's? Yeah, I mean, so for me as a human being, um, and I think a lot of your work and research has touched on this, there's just so much more commitment, passion when you feel connected to an organization's purpose. And, you know, we did not have that articulated as clearly as it is today. Um, that work was really 
two to three years ago that we became really clear on our purpose and started talking about it a lot throughout the organization. So I think for me as, as a person and as a leader, it just helps to give um, more meaning to what we're doing every day. You know, I'd say, it, as you said, it ties so clearly to who we are as a brand, um, but also what I care about, especially around this fostering community piece. And there's this really magical side of our business model and our brand, which is the role our restaurants and our franchisees play in local communities. And so, you know, to connect the food piece, which is very natural to us, to this, you know, fostering community, I think helps just give a lot more commitment, passion, focus to what we're doing day and day and, and meaning, you know, in, in, the, in the broader world. You have a big company, lots of restaurants, lots of employees. Any lessons from you and your leadership team about keeping this purpose top of mind, front and center for your employees, for your franchisees, their employees? Any, any tips, any lessons, any key learning? Well, I think we're probably still learning how to do that really well. We talk about it a lot. So I think that is a big piece of it. So part of it is, again, you know, we talked earlier, just communication, continuing to reinforce it through communication. Um, but we're also doing, I think, an important job of shining a light on small examples around the world that show how, whether it be a crew member, you know, someone who works in our headquarters, uh, owner operator, are actually really committing to feeding and fostering communities. So I believe this, Jim, I, I don't know, I assume you would, like people get, get attached to, motivated by stories. And so we're really making a concerted effort to do that storytelling around how this is brought to life, not just on the corporate stage. I, I think we have to be careful that it's not always about the corporate stage, but how it's being brought to life individual by individual, restaurant to restaurant. How do you know you're making progress on this beautiful purpose? Gosh, that's a great question. I think you know when you're making progress against it when it starts to also be a lens for decision making. You know, I was in a situation during the pandemic when we had to really weigh something around the Happy Meal, and we used our purpose and our values to help weigh the decision we need to make. Um, so I think the more and more we as an organization are doing that, you know, making business decisions, making investment decisions that really weigh off of that, that's when I think we know we're, we've really embedded it into everything across the company. I love that. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Let's switch to DE&I. You have taken, you and your peers have taken bold action and, and have bold goals, I, I might say, to diversify your media and production spending, your media partners, your content producers, your influencers. So good for you. And I, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are curious, what's going well on that? What have you learned that others could benefit from? And is something not going as well as you would like that you're addressing? Yeah, I will say this has been this has been a real personal kind of commitment of mine when I was in the US CMO role and I'm kind of carrying it through through the first part of this year as I transition it to Tarek. Um and and part of it Jim was just realizing that this is one place where we as an organization can truly have an impact. So I think, you know, you, you talk about purpose, feed, and fostering community, this definitely ties into the community piece, fostering community piece. And as I, as I thought about and talked to a number of people across the team, you know, 
being able to truly think about how we can shift our marketing investment into more diverse media companies, diverse suppliers, and really think about changing that marketing supply chain. And as, as I have said over and over again, it needs to be sustainable. So how are we changing the supply chain to ensure it's sustainable for the long term was one of the things that we McDonald's could distinctly do better than a lot of other companies. Um, just because of our size, our scale, our investment, and our influence. Um, so that has been a very, very special program. I think a couple of the things that we've done well, I spent a lot of time talking and listening to people and um, with, my, with my leadership team. So it was, it was not just me. There were a number of people in the U.S. business who really championed this work and passionately at their core believed in this work. Um, but I, I talked to a number of trusted people in the industry, in particular, trusted people who work at diverse owned media companies or diverse owned marketing companies to get their perspective on what is really going on and where can we add the most, most value. Um, we put together a board of advisors of leaders, you know, across, across the industry, um, in this space and, that has been amazing. I mean, that board, we talk frankly, we talk openly. Um, they push us on where we need to do more. They applaud us where we're having success and ask us to ban it and share it. Um, but that group has become a very, very powerful group to just, in a trusted space, help us get better and truly drive distance, drive a difference. And so I think having a trusted group who who can really you can talk openly to was was a key piece the other piece is we put people against it so i remember you know one night at 10 o'clock at night a handful of us were working on this and i realized this couldn't be everyone's nighttime job and it was a bunch of us who really cared about it it was our nighttime job and we needed to have people who it was their full-time job. So a handful of people raised their hands and it became, they were freed up of other work and it became their full-time job to focus on how we were going to make change across the marketing supply chain. And then the last piece, which we just talked about with, with this board, is we put measurable goals out there across a number of different things, but we put measurable goals out there and you know this, I know this, what's measured, you know, gets focus and attention and we blew them out of the water. And we had this discussion of should we, should we raise the goals? Should we increase the goals? And there was a, a little bit of feedback. Well, you know, maybe we just keep pushing ourselves. We don't need to actually raise the targets and raise the goals. And one of the members of the board said, I disagree. If you raise the goal, you will achieve it again, and you will continue to push the industry and push yourselves to do more. And so, you know, I guess third learning for me is you have to have clear, measurable goals in order to truly drive the change you need. And we will continue to provide transparency on those goals and then also push ourselves to raise them when, when we start to, to beat them. You had a three and a half year run as U.S. head of marketing. What are you most proud of in that three and a half years? There are probably two things. Um, I'm really proud of the team. I mean, I, it's a killer marketing team. They're, you know, passionate, bright, um, curious, disruptive thinkers who believe in marketing. And I, I have tremendous pride in the team that exists in the U.S. marketing business. And then the second is we really demonstrated the power of great creativity. And, you know, to do that at McDonald's U.S. is hard. Um, but we demonstrated for ourselves, which is probably the first group, our franchisees, which is the second group, and for the external marketing place that we could do incredibly impactful creativity that would drive the business 
and you know we will continue to do it. I know they will continue to do it. Now you're in this global role. You're only not even three months into it. Maybe it's an unfair question, but what if I asked you this same question three or four years from now, how would you like to answer that in terms of your impact, your legacy, if you will, as global CMO? I think I, the first thing I would say would be similar. Like I'd like to, I'd like to leave that role and say McDonald's has the most incredible global marketing team. And when I say global, I mean all marketers across, not just the center team, all of our marketers around the world. Um, and I, I think we have incredible talent, but, you know, I would like to say that when I leave, we've built a world-class enviable marketing organization. And I do think this idea of transformation. So I think we need to transform how we connect with consumers creatively, you know, through owned and paid media channels, through content. Um, so when I leave, um, I hope that that would be another piece. You know, she really helped us transform how we market and, you know, accelerate our business through marketing and great creativity. It's a good brief, Morgan. Just a little challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's a good brief. Hey, uh, a, a career path question. Uh, you, had, you were at Pepsi for almost 13 years. Yes. And also another great marketing company. What do you think that Pepsi could teach McDonald's about marketing? Oh. And what could McDonald's teach Pepsi about marketing? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think Pepsi, my time at Pepsi was so fundamental to who I am as a marketer. It's a great, I often talk about it as like a, you know, great leadership academy, probably much, I mean, very similar to Procter. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the one thing Pepsi could probably teach McDonald's is about risk taking. So I was being a number two, you know, Pepsi, not necessarily Gatorade, where I spent a lot of my time, but PepsiCo um, and the Pepsi brand, where I did spend some of my time. It creates a little bit of an ethos on risk taking when you're number two. And one of the things why I joined Pepsi, you know, a long time ago, and, and one of the things I really loved about it is there was a willingness to take, take risks, big at bats, big swings. And it was okay if you didn't get it right. Um, and that was built into the ethos of that company. I think that's something McDonald's could learn from, from Pepsi. Pepsi from McDonald's, you know, McDonald's is a really scrappy organization in places and, and very, very entrepreneurial. Surpri I mean, I think that might be surprising, but when you think about getting down to an individual restaurant and an individual franchisee, the way problems can get solved at that level is fascinating to see the entrepreneurship that exists and is a little bit of, of the DNA of the brand. You know, McDonald's could probably teach Pepsi some things about scrappiness and, and the entrepreneurial nature, which is really embedded in, in McDonald's DNA. I want to move to the creative brief. And my first question is, what's your first memory of McDonald's? Oh, I have this great. So, you know, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And I have this memory of, you know, my mom kind of driving us across the city between ballet practice and soccer and different events and stopping to have dinner at McDonald's um, as kids with my mom, um, all piling out of the station wagon. And so I do have these warm memories as a child of those evenings kind of in the hustle and bustle of carting kids around, us coming together and having this special meal. And it was once a week, you know, at, at McDonald's is like this special family time. And what's amazing is I think our brand still provides those, you know, memories, those little bubbles of happiness for families, you know, as, this, as an escape from the, from the routine and some of the mundane. What's your, what's your favorite item on the McDonald's menu? You know, I'm a go-to quarter pounder with cheese person, but my favorite item is our fries. I mean, 
I love our French fries. So it's a bit of an addiction. <laughs> so you are a very highly awarded leader from Forbes, Fast Company, Ad Age, and on and on. Of all those awards, which one is the most meaningful to you? So I'd have a tough time pointing to to the name of one, but a huge, huge achievement for us, for the U.S. marketing team, was when we were recognized as, you know, Ad Age's number two marketer of the year. And, and that, for me, was just such a signal of what we had evolved to become. So, so that one was very, very meaningful to me and to the, to the whole department. I'm still not over that we're number two. Yeah, well, you can change yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. We, when I was at P&G, we got number one marketer of the year, and we won marketer of the year at Cannes. And those were the most meaningful because it was a public acknowledgement of what the team had done. And that's yeah, what it's, that's all, what about it's all about, the team. Yeah. Most inspirational person in your life. So I draw a lot of inspiration from a lot of people, and I won't, I won't rattle them all off. I, I love surrounding myself with creative people. And so I get a lot of inspiration from lots of creative people. But I will say, most inspirational person in my life, I mean, I have really, really crazy, mad respect for my sister, who is um, my younger sister, my baby sister. She won't appreciate that. But she is a, um, she lives in Guatemala with her family, and she does. Uh, legal advocacy for indigenous women in Guatemala. And so whenever I think about my sister, Kate, and, you know, the bravery she has shown and the choices she has made and how she lives her life with purpose, um, I'm very, very inspired. Your parents must be very proud. Yeah, I think they are. I think they are. What are you most looking forward to in 2022, Morgan? Gosh. I'm looking forward to getting over this pandemic, but I don't know that we will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some traveling this year in this job, which I'm really looking forward to, to get out off of you know Zoom, WebEx, out of the U.S. and really experience the brand in other countries. I can't wait to go experience the brand in other countries. That's a good plan. I'll give the last word to you. Any question for me before we sign off? Oh, actually, I, do, I, I have a, a whole bunch of questions. Okay. You just get one. We can talk about the other ones after we go stop the recording. Okay. And you, you, can, you can tell me if you want to answer this one or not. I'm trying to build a list of corporate CMOs who I should go talk to. Who would you suggest I put on my list? That's a, that's a great question. And that's a tough one. And I and I would like to think about that because I think that's a fabulous idea. And I would, gosh, this is hard off the top. I would think about companies that you think you could learn a lot from because of their business model, their culture, their risk-taking. So I would, I would think about the criteria. I could tell you a lot of wonderful people, but I would think about which organizations do you think you have the most to learn from? Microsoft is one I would visit. Chris at Microsoft would talk about a transformation in business model, in culture, in uh, he runs a fabulous global marketing organization. He's a very interesting relationship with the regions. So I would definitely go, go see Microsoft. Um, I would probably spend some time with Monica McGurk at Kellogg's. She is relative, well, she's not new in the job anymore, but she's ahead of you. Uh, she's in the food business. Uh, she has a consulting background when she started, so she didn't start right away into packaged goods. She values creativity. She, val she values personal creativity. And so that's another one that I would reach out to. Think really about the organizations you have the most to learn from. When I, when I went to see, when I, I did a similar exercise as you're doing now when I was new at P&G, and I thought, who do I need to go visit to learn from? And one on my list was at that time Nike because I thought they were doing some of the most creative work in the world and their culture was so radically different from P&G. And so I, I went out and spent time on their campus 
I did a I did a webcast from their campus to all of our marketing employees. I I tried to learn everything about how they do business, how, what their process is, who they work with, how they reward people, what their career path is. Uh, and then I went to visit a couple luxury companies because I thought they build tremendous brands with great affinity in a very different style than P&G did. So I thought, and I visited a few tech companies because I thought I want to see what how they're thinking about the, the future and, and the consumer because I know they'll be looking at it differently from how I'm looking at things. So, but it's a real, and you know, the other thing I did, which is really good is I interviewed every living ex-CEO of P&G about what they think I should do and what they think a great CMO at P&G does. And it was, it was not a unified point of view, by the way, which was interesting, but very, very rich learning for me and really, really helped me form my agenda. And then, um, I mean, Fernando Machado, I mean, he's at the top of my list for people who elicit creativity. And, and he's obviously been in a couple of different industries. He's in a very interesting company at an interesting time right now. But he's such a generous person. He's had such a track record of, of just lifting people up and getting tremendous creativity out of organizations. And with, you know, what we talked about risk taking, I think he would be interesting as well. That would be great. That's good. Great, great question. Morgan, this has been a, just a fantastic conversation. Thank you for your generosity. Congratulations on the new role and, and have fun with it, really. It, it's the best. Thank you so much. It's been so great talking. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was my conversation with Morgan Flatley. Three takeaways for your business, brand, and life. The first one, it's always about the team and never forget that. Great leaders never forget that it's about the team. Morgan spoke so beautifully about her time at Pepsi and at McDonald's about the team and its achievement. It's a great lesson in leadership, and this was a masterclass in valuing your team. Second takeaway, in our discussion about DEI, Morgan talked about the importance of forming a board of advisors. That's a great concept in lots of different areas, but especially in your goals and in your progress on DEI. She meets with the board regularly. They talk very openly about issues. They talk about goals, objectives, partners, culture. So think about in an area that you are focused in, would a board of advisors be helpful for you? And the third takeaway, say yes to people when they're trying new things. It's the most powerful thing to support a culture that is willing to take chances and take risks. If you never say yes to something, people will stop bringing you ideas. And bonus takeaway, I love the goal Morgan has to make McDonald's organization the envy in the world in the marketing industry. I love that bold goal. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.